from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This week, we have the brand spanking new CEO and president of ITI, Jason Oxman. We get to know Jason a little bit. We'll talk about how he's going to wrangle big tech. We'll also hit through some of the bigger topics, trade, privacy. Should be fun. Okay. ITI's new president and CEO, Jason Oxman. Jason Oxman, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here on the podcast. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So congrats on your new gig. You're the big dog now, the president and CEO of ITI. Um, why in the world did you want that job? It's a phenomenal organization staffed by phenomenal people with phenomenal members addressing the most important technology policy issues uh, of the day around the world. Um, this truly is a dream job for me. I've been uh, doing tech policy in D.C. for 22 years. Uh, long admired uh, ITI and the great work that the organization does representing the most significant, most innovative, most impressive technology companies uh, from around the world. Uh, it's an organization with a 103-year history, so clearly uh, I have a, uh, uh, I've been entrusted with a legacy, and I'm excited to uh, take on these issues. It's a really dynamic, uh, exciting, and in a lot of ways challenging time in technology policy. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. It's, um, let's, let's back up for a second, though. What's your, how'd you get to D.C.? How'd you get your start here? Um, where'd you grow up? Give me a little of that stuff. All right. So uh, not to go too far back, but... Uh, <laughs> you don't have I, to start at the dawn of time. <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Maine, um, and uh, I'm a lawyer by training. Uh, actually uh, spent some time um, in Maine uh, as a law clerk, uh, and then actually came down to D.C. Uh, to work for the Federal Communications Commission uh, right after Congress passed the 1996 Telecom Act, which was the most significant rewrite sure. of the nation's telecom laws since 1934. So I had the opportunity to work on implementation of the 96 Act uh, here in D.C. Uh, at the FCC. Enjoyed that very much and then uh, have been working for uh, technology companies uh, and trade associations in the tech space uh, ever since. Um, it, I always ask that question because I'm a native Washingtonian and there's only like, you know, 10 of us here. So I always like to ask wherever everyone else comes from. Okay, so you're taking over the reins here. What's your goals for the next year or so, um, or the next you know little while? I, I don't know how far out these things get planned, but you know what do you think? You taking over of, at ITI? What are your goals in the kind of short medium term? Yeah, in the short term, it's uh, getting to know all of the member companies. Uh, we represent uh, some pretty amazing companies that are doing really innovative things. And although we're a tech policy organization, it's really important to me to understand the member company's business. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time actually meeting with the business side right. uh, of our members uh, to make sure I understand how policy issues impact their bottom line. After all, they're investing in ITI as a trade association to represent their interests sure. uh, before policymakers uh, to advance the business and help them serve their customers. So in the short term, that's really what I'm focused in. You know, medium to long term, uh, it's really engaging uh, in the policy issues that our members consider our priorities. Uh, it's making sure that we are, uh, as ITI has been for a very long time, the voice of the tech sector. We're lucky that we represent uh, really in 
innovative companies that have challenging policy issues, and I want to make sure that uh, as we take on those policy issues for our members that we're representing their interests and, and, and serving them well as the voice. You've mentioned your um, association kind of size and uh, breadth a few times. How are you, how are you thinking about wrangling your your um, you know, kind of dispersed group of folks because you have everything from Toyota to tech companies, specific tech companies to cyber companies. How do you figure out how to prioritize and how to wrangle them and how, what you know? What are the issues you're going to agree on? What are the issues you're not going to agree on? It feels like that might be kind of a tough thing to wrestle. We're very lucky at ITI in that we represent such a broad cross section of the tech tech sector. So as you mentioned, we have software, hardware, semiconductor companies, uh, social networks, financial networks, sure. uh, really the, the gamut uh, mm -hmm. across the tech sector. So as you noted, there are challenges, of course, uh, but it's not unique to ITI. All trade associations bring together fierce marketplace competitors and ask them to take off their company hats and put on their industry hats and advance policy positions that help grow the entire industry. So we operate by consensus mm -hmm. at ITI. We make sure that we solicit broad input from our member companies uh, and we build consensus on positions. Now, representing marketplace competitors uh, is a unique opportunity. It means that we, <laughs> we bring together companies that don't often right. uh, agree on positions. Uh, but it's also a, uh, it's a very rewarding process because it, it allows us to uh, seek that consensus from companies that are well-intentioned and want to advance policies that help grow the entire industry. The tech sector, as you know, uh, is an ecosystem. So although some of our member companies don't have consumers as customers, sure. uh, they still benefit from consumer use of technology, so they want to advance policies that help promote innovation across the ecosystem. Yeah, it must get hard when you're starting. So I'm going to tick through just a couple of uh, a couple of issues. You know, uh, privacy is really hot now, right? So what's your thoughts on privacy? Where's the line on, um, you know, kind of what companies should you know, what data they should have, kind of uh, how much data they should keep from you, what they should use it for. Um, I ask this both as a in a conversation, but also like I've got kids, right? This is there's real world impacts here on at some point in time. What's your thoughts on just generally privacy in general, or kind of any of that stuff going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. You started the question about privacy from the frame of view of a consumer sure. and not as a tech policy expert. Exactly. Um, and uh, I think that's important for us to remember yeah. uh, that this is really about. It's about making sure that companies that have data, that use data, that uh, provide services to consumers uh, have the trust of those customers. Uh, because without that trust, the service is not valuable and those customers will be gone. Um, so as we think about the tech policy implications sure. of the privacy debate, mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that we work toward legislative solutions uh, that help consumers restore that trust uh, where that trust has been missing. And so it's very unusual, frankly, for the technology industry to be supporting legislation. Let's be honest. The tech sector has <laughs> right, not, exactly. uh, over the history of time, been uh, one that advocates for legislation. <laughs> privacy is unique. We at ITI support a federal privacy legislative regime uh, that first and foremost helps restore that trust, but also brings some clarity uh, to the obligations that companies face uh, around protection of data. We've seen a number of states, for example, adopt privacy legislation, sure. which is very difficult for technology companies that don't operate within individual states, but rather operate on a national, indeed a global basis. Yep. It's also very difficult to imagine uh, how you 
train data to respect state borders. Um, you know, sure. you and I are uh, live here in an area where people move back and forth across jurisdictions every day. They commute from Maryland into Virginia into DC. Yep. Um, you know, people fly every day. They travel across the country. They bring their devices with them. How do you have a regime, mm-hmm. uh, a legislative regime, a regulatory regime um, that deals with data uh, across state borders? Well, the truth is, the best way to do it is have a federal regulatory legislative structure. Um, And that's why we're supporting it. That's why we think it's important to work uh, toward that goal. We have adopted principles Mm -hmm. at ITI. We call them our FAIR principles Mm -hmm. for privacy um, that are uh, essentially a roadmap. They're a roadmap for a legislative solution. Mm -hmm. They're frankly a roadmap for companies to use in adopting their own privacy policies. We worked very collaboratively across across the ITI membership uh, to put those in place, and, and, and that's what we're supporting. On the privacy front, you mentioned the state stuff. So there's California, which is in place, Washington State, and others that are moving around. You've also had to deal with this on the international space. So GDPR is in place. Most of your companies have had to implement that at this point in time. How do you think this conversation in the United States deals with the conversation you're having in Europe? So it's interesting. I actually uh, had the opportunity to meet with the Secretary General uh, of the European Commission uh, just last week and uh, raised this very issue. And I told him that he may, in fact, find it surprising, uh, but that ITI, in adopting our legislative advocacy here in the U.S. around privacy, uh, suggested the use of some principles from GDPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a very unusual position for the technology <laughs> yes, industry exactly. to be in, uh, to be advocating for yeah. more legislation and right. to base some of that advocacy on legislation that's been introduced uh, elsewhere in the world. Uh, But the truth is, uh, for reasons of unifying and harmonizing uh, regulatory regimes around the world, uh, if we can take the best practices from GDPR and even take some elements from the California privacy legislation and use those to inform federal legislation, uh, it's certainly easier for consumers to know that when they're here in the U.S. or they travel to Europe, that their data will be protected under a uniform form regime. Right. It's certainly easier for innovators to know when they're deploying the next great technology innovation, mm-hmm. uh, what regime they have to uh, abide by uh, around the world as they deploy those services. And so uh, we're looking for opportunities to have a unified framework, not only here in the U.S., uh, but around the world that uh, that promotes innovation. Interesting. And you mentioned the cross-border stuff, right? So you mentioned that the data moves across states and whatever else. And so my next question relates to trade, right? The president has negotiators in the process of finishing up negotiation, but buttoning up a, a new trade deal with uh, Canada and Mexico, USMCA. You have thoughts on that? I assume just generally, you know, you want to be able to do business everywhere. You want to be able to move folks around. Um, What's the industry thinking on USMCA? Yeah, trade is incredibly important to the tech sector. As you know, 95% of the world's consumers live outside of the US, so it's an enormously important marketplace uh, for American technology companies. And of course, we have a global supply chain where uh, companies that uh, design products here in the US may seek to manufacture them elsewhere and manufacture here in the US at the same time. It's a a global marketplace, so trade is incredibly important uh, to the the tech sector. Uh, We applaud the work the administration has done on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think uh, a trade agreement uh, that unites uh, the countries in North America is incredibly important, and we will do everything we can uh, to help move that agreement 
forward. Uh, we've also been very clear on trade with other nations, including some challenging negotiations with China. Sure. Uh, that we think it's very important that we reach conclusion on those uh, as quickly as possible. We support the administration's work in, in negotiating those agreements. Uh, at the same time, where we see things that we're concerned about, such as the use of tariffs, um, we will raise concerns. Uh, we don't think tariffs are an appropriate policy, uh, and we've done everything we can to uh, work with the administration, to urge the administration not to use tariffs as a, uh, as a negotiation technique, mm -hmm. um, and we will continue to do so. But uh, broadly speaking, uh, trade is incredibly important. It's a top policy focus for ITI and for our member companies, and we'll continue to advocate for the opportunity for our members to uh, sell their products around the world, to source products around the sure. world, and to uh, participate in the global economy. You know, all this conversation so far feels like we could be talking a little bit about, you know, manufacturing companies or whatever else. And do you feel like tech's at a weird crossroads where now you're like tech's, are, tech's the adults at the table uh, in some ways? You know, because it felt like for a very long time, you mentioned that you were around for the Telecom Act, which was in the late 90s. I mean, so that wasn't that long ago. And that's really kind of when we got rolling on uh, in the kind of newer version of tech. And now we're talking about uh, federal legislation. Potentially, we're talking about global legislation. We're talking about impacts on global trade. And do you think about it in that way, or do you still think, you know, um, we're the bastion of entrepreneurs and we're, you know, kind of coming up with great new ideas? Well, we are certainly uh, the bastion of entrepreneurs, no sure. question about that. And uh, the technology sector is, in my um, somewhat biased opinion, the most innovative <laughs> and exciting place to be. Um, but, you know, technology evolves on a continuum. We have member companies that have been around for a few years. We have member companies that have been around for decades. Sure. Uh, and indeed, uh, ITI as an organization has been around for 103 years. We were founded in 1916. Now, the technology innovations in 1916 were very different than the technology <laughs> yeah. solutions we see our member companies deploying today. Right. Uh, but the theory is exactly the same, and that is uh, with a, uh, a marketplace, uh, a regulatory structure, a legislative um, philosophy, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, that supports innovation, uh, we will deploy products and services that um, make lives better. That's what technology does. We improve people's lives, um, whether it's in the workplace, uh, whether it's education, financial services, healthcare. Sure. Um, there is not a industry segment that is not touched by technology. And I think one way to think about what you're asking uh, is, uh, isn't everybody a technology company? Yeah. Y you mentioned that uh, ITI's membership includes uh, a lot of companies like Toyota, you mentioned, for example. I always pick uh, on Toyota when I talk about ITI because it feels because it's you know people think of them as a car company, and the question is is are they a car company? Are they a technology company? You know, uh, probably open to the, the debate for sure. I think they would say they're a technology company, and one of the reasons for that is a competitive differentiator for Toyota is the technology in their vehicles. Sure. Um, and so uh, that's true across a, a variety of industries that you may not think of technology companies. We also mm -hmm. have Visa and Mastercard uh, mm -hmm. as member companies. They are tech. Technology companies, they operate some of the most sophisticated, um, innovative networks in the world mm -hmm. um, as technology networks. Now, the, the product or the service or the bits, if you will, that are moving across their network happen to be money. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not technology companies. Um, it's, it's an amazingly diverse industry, and um, ITI is lucky to be able to represent it. 
All right, so I heard you were in um, South by Southwest last weekend, and you did an AI panel. Uh, first of all, like, what was your take on South by Southwest? Anything cool happened there? And how'd your your, your panel on AI go? So uh, South by Southwest is uh, really impressive. It's uh, it's grown. Uh, as you know, it started off as a music festival. Yeah. They added film, and, and actually not that many years ago, they added the technology uh, mm-hmm. segment to it uh, in recognition of the interest that um, an audience that's focused on um, arts and entertainment also had in technology. Sure. And over time, they've kind of gradually moved toward representing more technology interests. Um, so we had a number of member companies that had really incredible presence uh, in downtown Austin. So SAP set up an innovation house where they were demoing uh, blockchain technology. They had the CIO from uh, Bumblebee <laughs> uh, showing how you can use blockchain uh, with SAP software uh, technology uh, to track uh, fish from boat to uh, shelf. Oh, wow. Quite literally. Uh, Accenture was there showing uh, retail technology, the use of uh, AR, augmented reality, mm-hmm. uh, to em- enhance the retail experience. Uh, Dell was there showing off technology. Um, it was really amazing uh, how many technology companies were mm-hmm. were there in force. Uh, my panel, as you mentioned, was on uh, AI uh, and AI in the workforce, um, the use of uh, um, AI to help uh, attract and retain talent. Um, so a very interesting uh, mm-hmm. discussion of um, whether AI can be biased and, and how you can uh, improve diversity uh, through use of AI. Um, so uh, really an impressive event. Uh, I think we're going to look to be more involved in the future, mm-hmm. uh, particularly given that so many ITI members are engaged and, and the presence there of, of technology innovators is, uh, is, is quite impressive. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I, I personally have a problem with uh, South by Southwest today because my wife is there and my children are here. Other than that, everyone says it's great. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions before we wrap up here. So what do you see the biggest challenges for tech generally going, you know, in the, in the short term? Um, is it another big data breach that would make a, a problem? Is is this privacy the, the, the thing? What's the biggest problem? And then I'll, the next question is, is probably the opposite of that. But so what's the, what do you see the biggest uh, challenge come down the road? I, I think, frankly, the biggest challenge in policy circles and generally is how are we telling the story of the good that tech does? Uh, I think there are a lot of headlines about challenges that the tech industry faces. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think we need to respond to those headlines with stories about how technology is a force for good in people's lives, and also being willing to accept that there are things that we need uh, regulatory solutions or legislative solutions for. The privacy discussion that we had, uh, the fact that we're supporting federal privacy legislation because we recognize that there are challenges there uh, that need a legislative solution. So I think that's the biggest challenge we have Mm -hmm. right now is making sure that we participate in the policy discussions in a positive way Mm -hmm. uh, and remind people of the importance of our our innovation economy and the very good things that our companies do um, here in the in the in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, it's interesting. I also think one of the you're you're talking about how you tell your story, which I think is exactly right on. One other thing that I think on that front is U.S. really drives the train on this and has been for a really long time. And I think tech has to find a way to continue to tell people, hey, this is a big force for good around the world and it's coming out of here. You know, it's a little drape yourself in the American flag kind of situation. But if you look at it, Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas and, you know, New York and wherever else are cranking out really smart 
innovative companies for now quite a long time, and that technology is going around the world. You know, there are other t- companies, you know, globally for sure, but we're driving that train. Um, well, it's true in that uh, a lot of, of the great innovative technology companies are U.S. companies, but it's also true, I would note, that a lot of the ITI membership uh, are made up of companies from outside the U.S., sure. their headquarters are outside the U.S., that have incredible operations mm-hmm. here. Uh, you know, obviously, we've talked about Toyota quite a bit, and yeah. we all know that Toyota makes cars here. And you here. mentioned SAP, which I think is German, right? Right. And has uh, massive operations here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Engineers, uh, you know, a lot of their businesses are headquartered here in the U.S. Yep. You know, look, look at a company like Schneider Electric, which is sure. actually headquartered in France, uh, but literally has um, dozens of um, manufacturing and uh, other facilities here in the U.S. where they actually build um, huge electronic components. Mm-hmm. Um, they employ thousands of engineers and, and, and programmers here sure. in the U.S. So uh, it's true, as you said, that uh, U.S. companies are exporting great U.S. products and services around sure. the world. Uh, but it's also exciting to see how many companies that are headquartered outside the U.S. Uh, have really expanded uh, their operations here in the U.S. or building things here or designing things here, uh, employing um, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people here. Sure. Uh, and that's exciting to see. And it's, it's another great example of how uh, this is a global industry. How do you think um, that immigration plays into all this stuff? Because it's obviously a loaded question now with people building walls or not building walls and all that other stuff. But it seems to me that, you know, um, ITI and its tech companies just need smart people and they kind of don't really care where they come from. Uh, is that an oversimplification, do you think? It may be a slight oversimplification, <laughs> but uh, but I think here's the important thing about the immigration debate from the point of view of ITI and the and the tech industry. Um, we want to attract the best and the brightest uh, to, the US, to the U.S. We are a nation of immigrants. Uh, we know that a lot of our great U.S. technology companies were founded by immigrants to the, to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the demand for uh, employees here in the U.S. in the tech sector is so high um, that we need to attract the best and the brightest from around the world. We know that our education system here in the U.S. is second to none on the planet Mm -hmm. uh, and that people want to come learn here. And then we want to make sure when they learn that they stay here and they start the next great innovative company. Um, But it also, immigration policy also works hand in hand with education policy. And we want to make sure that we are training uh, U.S. workers um, for these high income, high demand jobs in the tech sector. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's a policy that has two components to it. It's attracting and retaining the best in the brightest from around the world in the U.S. and making sure that our education system is set up um, to uh, fulfill demand for these uh, for these jobs here at home as well. Right. Um, so we've touched on all the uh, lots of hot topics. Now for the fun stuff. So, what's the coolest thing you see coming? You spend your time talking to all these companies and you're seeing how they're making their widgets. And what's the coolest trend you see coming in tech? Um, we mentioned AI, you know, uh, there's all kinds of things like facial facial recognition and all the rest of that stuff. What do you think is the coolest thing? Yeah, so, you know, on the consumer side, I think uh, one of the coolest things is the explosion of AR and VR. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to try it out with your kids or uh, else, um, you know, Facebook, Oculus, other other uh, yep. VR and AR um, are really amazing. I saw this demonstrated um, by Accenture, mm-hmm. actually, at, uh, at South by Southwest, um, the use of AR in a retail environment where mm-hmm. you can um, really kind of see what products and services might uh, mean in your house, uh, even though you're not in your house yeah. in a retail establishment. <laughs> yes, so exactly. I think that's the coolest thing uh, on the consumer side. Uh, on the B2B side, 
side, I, I think it's, you know, you got to talk about the cloud and, and what it means for um, particularly small and medium enterprises that mm -hmm. traditionally may not have had the ability uh, to invest in hardware infrastructure. Now they can get that hardware infrastructure, they can get software as a service, they can get all the capabilities, the technology capabilities that traditionally have been reserved for larger enterprises. Yeah. And there are a host of companies uh, that are making these capabilities available so that uh, small and medium enterprises can access the same level of innovation that, that large companies traditionally have been. It's interesting, the cloud stuff is, because I can remember, I mean, you know, uh, I go back a ways and I can remember the big, you know, room of servers with cooling stuff on top of it and whatever. And that was as many servers as you could put in there was basically all you could get to have your company run on. And now it's infinity. It's it's as much as you need, as fast as you need, and as much as you need it. Yeah, and those those large server rooms obviously are still out there, but yep. now they're they're bunkers. They're yep. um, they're warehouse sizes. Yep. Um, and and so the demand is still there for the hardware uh, and software that runs those uh, those ginormous facilities. Uh, but if you're a small business, obviously, as you noted, you're you're not going to have the ability to to get that capability. So it's it's nice to see both of those things yes. uh, advancing. True. All right, Jason Oxman, the, the new big dog at ITI. Thanks so much for coming in here. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Jason for coming on to the program. If you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, I'll be sitting right here at 14th and G.